This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Garden of Sound with thanks to Taha Sparkling Tonic. I'm your host Ian Turner. It's always a pleasure to bring Garden of Sound to you every Friday or whatever day you happen to be listening to this episode. Thanks to the wonders of modern technology, you can enjoy this program via subscription. So if you're listening via any of the amazing online deliverers of podcastery, please click subscribe right now so you don't miss any of the action. And if you're listening via terrestrial radio or the Plains FM website, then I thoroughly encourage you to visit gardenofsound.nz right now and hit that subscribe button. Right, if you've got an ear for detail, then listen out for a question about this interview at the end of the show. And if you're the first person to send them the right answer to that question, there'll be a lovely prize from Taha winging its way to you. Just listen out for that question at the end of the show. I'm also exceptionally excited to say that the first Garden of Sound live gig will be happening at Littleton Records on Tuesday, the 31st of July. And before I forget, good luck to all of the bands competing in the RockQuest Regional Finals tonight. Today's guest is Emma Cameron, a fiercely intelligent singer, guitarist, performance artist, and the XX component of the band Decades. They'll very soon be in venues all over the country touring their absolutely in-your-face album, The Truth and Other People. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Emma Cameron on Plains FM 96.9. Emma, tell me about your first musical memory. I don't actually remember. I can't think of something that really stood out to me as like, oh, wow, this is music. This is what it is. I just think it organically happened over time. But my dad is very much into a band called Steely Dan and that played in our house. All the time. Um, still does. Still plays in my house all the time now. Um, so I'd say that would be my first musical memory, I think, just growing up, being around music that um, complex melodically and instrumentally has probably been a huge part of my life. What's Steely Dan's best known track, would you say? So Reeling in the Years? Or maybe Asia? Or, God, they've got so many. I feel like I can't be objective about a band like Steely Dan because I've come into it, you know, 30 years after they were in their massivist time. And so every album and every song is equally weighted to me. That was actually the first song my dad asked me to learn on guitar once I got good enough at guitar. He's like, learn this <laughs> right now. So were your parents musical? Um, neither of them have learnt musical instruments or been really involved in performing or, or you know anything to do with music. But I would say, given the chance, when they were younger, they probably would have been. I think my dad's got a really strong sense of melody and harmony. Um, his mother, my grandmother, who I never met, um, she died before I was born, but she sung in like church choirs and stuff. Apparently she was a really good singer. Um, and dad's always been interested in the guitar and, and that kind of stuff. Um and my mum's always said that she actually I think my mum like learnt the what's that like piano accordion thing. I think she played a little bit of that when she was a kid. I'm not sure to what extent. I've just know that she's brought it up a few times when I was younger, but she's always regretted not having like the tools to learn the piano. She came from like quite a um I guess poor background so they didn't have the resources to get her into music lessons or anything, but she would have loved to have learned the piano. Um, but apart from that, no, like not no actual 
musicians in the family per se. So did you learn music or a musical instrument at school? Um, yes, I guess. Not not like just in the classroom, but when I decided for whatever reason that I wanted to learn a musical instrument, it was in school lessons um, with Clary Light, who I believe is somehow still going. I don't know why I wanted. I decided I wanted to learn an instrument. I don't know, yeah, where that came from, um, but I wanted to do the violin. And yeah, Clary does pretty much everything, but... Um, my mum ended up telling me that the someone at her work told her that the violin would be too hard. I think when you think of classical instruments, you think of like, oh, the discipline. It's like being a ballerina or, and I was doing dance as well. So it's like, man, if you really want to do this, you've got to commit really hard to this. Um, so I think my mum was just like, how about the guitar instead? I was like, okay, whatever. That's what I can do. I'll do the guitar. Was there a first influencing performance memory, something that captured your imagination? Uh, yeah, so I would say, yeah, maybe when you asked me about my musical memory, I should have gone a bit deeper into my dancing background because I suppose <clears throat> in terms of performance and all that kind of stuff, it started with dance. So I started dancing when I was five. I did ballet, hated it, because I thought when they tell you to stand up straight and suck your tummy in and stuff, you had to hold your breath. So I'm like, this going to kill me. I'm going <laughs> to die. I can't breathe while I do this. I hated ballet. It was too strict. Um, so then a couple of years later, I moved on to um, Jazz Contemporary. And that's when we started performing live in public as well. You know, we went to a school in the city. It had nothing to do with um, primary school or anything like that. It was like a outside of school activity. See, I started performing in front of audiences in ways of dance recitals and public ones. I suppose my first one would have been age six or seven. I, I don't actually remember. I just remember the school we went to. It was pretty dodgy at the time. Um, and I did dancing um, all the way through to age 19 or 20. So I was, yeah, performing from a really young age. And that's why when I often talk about um, my approach to music, it's more from a I am a performer angle as opposed to a um, writer, like in terms of what my natural, where my natural confidence lies and where I feel best in a musical space is on stage and uh, performing, yeah. So when did the music side of things come in? I suppose that would have been when I started learning guitar, which was age eight or nine. What was the first pop song you ever played on a guitar? Oh, what constitutes pop? The very first song I had to learn was Achy Breaky Heart. I mean, that's a country song, right? But it's still like a pop song. It was big. Because it's just G to G7 or something ridiculous like that, or D7, I can't even remember now. But that was the first song Clary Light ever made me learn. There's only two chords, so that was the first thing. But then from there, as soon as I kind of picked up basic chords, which I, to everyone's surprise, I pretty much picked up guitar within like a month. Like I was just like, it was like a fish, like a duck to water or whatever. It was just really fast. And so as soon as I kind of just understood chords and could play them and it's not all like horribly muted and my tiny little eight-year-old fingers could hold them down, my dad was straight in there like, here's reeling in the ears, here's this, here's this, here's House of the Rising Sun, here's, you know, all this kind of stuff. So it's more like, I think, buzzing him out that I could actually play these songs and when family friends came around, he'd like make me play them for them and stuff. So we've got guitar from age eight and we've got dance all the way up till 19, 20. 20. Yeah. There's a lot of performance stuff in there. Was yes. there anything other than performance on the horizon for Emma Cameron? Not not really. Like I, you know, a lot of musicians talk about how you know, they just started writing songs from such a young age and that was just what they naturally did. Um, 
that is not what I naturally did. I, w- I was more into, like, I would buzz out um, trying to figure out songs that I liked and how they were played on the guitar. I used to um, be part of like online communities where you'd submit like guitar tabs and, and arrangements and all that. I love doing that kind of stuff. Um, I love, yeah, the structure of songs and I love melody and I love vocal harmonies. I'd say like I'm more into production than songwriting. It's interesting how I, like sometimes I think in the past it's made me feel less than not being like super into writing and stuff but I'm slowly starting to realize that my strengths lie in other places and they're equally as valid in the world of music so there were no other school subjects which you know you took a shining didn't do to drama didn't well I mean I was a very smart kid I was good at all school subjects I was put in extension science classes extension math classes English classes everything like that but I didn't like any I didn't like science. I mean, I do like science now. Like, you know, when you grow up and you just like, in retrospect, you're like, crap, I wish I actually listened. Um, I didn't like doing any of those things. You just had to, and I was just naturally good at them. But music and art, art was my other thing. So that's also my other um, career path or that I do in conjunction with music is I do graphic design and, and creative marketing. and So, yeah, creative creative stuff. I will ask you about musical influences shortly. But artistically, who are you influenced by? Artistically? So you mean generally speaking? Art. Art. Oh, God. <laughs> Air quotes. It's hard. Like, I don't feel like I've ever just tacked on to a handful of artists and just followed their body of work and been like, oh, my God. I just say I'm so influenced, like, even with music, day to day, the things that surround me. What was the last thing you saw that you had an emotional connection to or made you strongly feel something i actually feel like kind of embarrassed about it but do you have you heard of the band the 1975 i've like never connected with them or their music at all and they just released this new track and music video about a week and a half ago and just out of curiosity instead of just listening to the song i went to like went through all their like promo shit like going on their website and they've got like just the video on their website and that's all that's it and I watched this video and I was like, something's going on here. I don't, like, this song is so weird. The video's odd. I don't know what the message is. But for some reason, I, like, feel drawn to this, which is really interesting because a lot of people I know are fans of the 1975 and all the feedback that they're having on social media is like, what the hell are they doing? This is ridiculous. This is stupid. This is, like, the worst song ever. What's what's going on here? And I'm going, I've never liked this band before, but this is kind of tickling my brain a bit. What, what is going on here? Is this good? Is this bad? I don't know. So that's kind of been the most recent like something that's made me actually stop and think, I guess, even though that's musically related, but it's all art. The videos also made me go, what, what's this about? So, yeah. Well, there's something working there. Yeah, I'm not sure what that, because it's also, it's weird because I feel so disjointed from all my friends who usually like their music saying this is odd. Or even like people I've made music with or worked with, like producers and engineers that have gone, this, this band's just blowing out now. And I'm going, oh, hang on, but I actually... Something's ticking, like ticking the boxes here for me. I like it because it's so weird um, for a pop band, and yeah. Tell me about your musical influences. Now. Musical influences. I always find it hard to talk about musical influences, but because I think you have your favorite artists, and then you have potentially who influences your own music. Tell and me about. Are they the one and the same, or are they actually completely separate? Tell me about both. So. My favourite artists of all time, like growing up and that have stuck with me forever, um, would be Michael Jackson. 
um, and Steely Dan. Um, and I usually don't like admitting this, but Paramore, because we compare to them so often. Um, <laughs> and a band called Taking Back Sunday, um, who are more from the emo side of things and alternative music. I'd say those four bands are kind of like at my root core, have always been with me, and no matter what they release, they always will be, even though some of them can't release stuff anymore. But well, well their states maybe. can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, but in terms of actual influences for our music, like I said, I've, I'm learning to identify as not much of a songwriter, even though I still put the effort in to give it a go, but it's not where my passion lies. So a lot of that's like artists don't really influence me in that way. I kind of just like listening to all kinds of music in the hopes that once we get in the studio with a song idea that Liam or I have put together, um, just like kind of the sound qualities and the production and the approach to playing the instruments might just rub off on me in some way. So I'm a huge uh, supporter and a, a adopter of listen to just every possible thing um, and just see what rubs off and what sticks. Um, also the fact that, um, you know, our producer is Tom Larkin um, from She Had and he's also our manager, hugely influenced not necessarily by Shehard's music, but by his approach to music and, and his um, counsel for our music and his opinions on, on that kind of stuff. So I guess from a more practical sense, I would say he's a huge influence on me. So we talked about you've got your sort of core influences. Is there a particular track from any particular band that you'd like to play? Yes, I think I put down uh, Think You're So Free by Shehard because, as I said, Tom Larkin is our manager and our producer, so it's a given that he's a huge influence on us, so I thought I'd play one of his tracks.
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Emma Cameron on Plains FM 96.9. Have you tried Taha Sparkling Tonic? It's made right here in New Zealand from the best natural ingredients. Manuka honey, organic ginger and kawakawa. The medicinal benefits of these three are well known, but when they're combined, you get a healthy taste sensation that's out of this world! Fortunately, you can buy Taha right now from supermarkets, cafes and bars all over New Zealand. Find out more at taha.nz. Taha, it's where you belong. You're listening to Garden of Sound. We're talking to Emma Cameron, part of the group Decades on Plains FM 96.9. Emma, uh, what was the first musical gig that you paid some money to get along to? Oh, uh, I would. I think it might have been a Z gig, actually, back when I was a um, teenage girl. I think, yeah, it would have been an all-ages gig at Zebedee's. I'm sure I would have paid to get in. That was probably it, yeah. Do you have a favourite Z track? Um, probably Renegade Fighter. I think, yeah. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, um, Ben Campbell's a, a good friend of mine and, and uh, me and Tom have started working with Zed um, lately. Just, you know, throwing around ideas of, of whether it might be viable for them to, um, I guess, make a comeback. You've talked about being a, a seasoned musician and just getting on with things and, and coping. Are there any tips for any young or aspiring uh, musos uh, getting into the scene? Any Anything you'd like to pass on? Something that you wish that you'd done differently in hindsight with the benefit of years? I think in hindsight I would have been a lot more aggressive about um, following a career in music from a young age. I think I kind of like floated around a lot for the first... I don't. Well, I mean, when I was a teenager... Um, when we started, you know, I had like 20 year old guys in my band and they kind of like, you know, were just dictating booking our gigs for us and doing this kind of stuff. I wish that I'd kind of paid more attention to that when I was a kid and, and learnt those things because, you know, when those people left, um, I had to start from square one and I it was, I don't know, for some reason I took on the sole responsibility of, of pushing that, but I was a slow learner and I wasn't like an aggressive go-getter. It took me quite a few years to be like, hang on, like, I can't just sit on my ass here, like, I play in a band, but I need to, like, actually, like, we're talking about social anxiety earlier, like, that was a huge crippling thing for me, but I actually just need to get past that and just go meet people and network and meet other musicians and, you know, say yes to, like, a lot of opportunities, but also um, consider opportunities that come your way and whether they're right for what you want to do, don't just take on everything, and, yeah, I think I would have tried to be a lot more confident um, from an early age because, you know, we've been together for 10 or 11 years now and it's only really been like the last four or five years that things have actually been happening and it's our career and we're focused on it and that's what we want to do. Um, yeah, it would have been good to be like 10 years in and be five years ahead of where we are now because I'd if I'd put that work in right from the start. When I knew that it was what I always wanted to do, I just didn't know how to do it and also didn't allow my, like give myself permission to just go be aggressive and find out how to do it myself. So what needs to be put in place to provide that kind of support to young people? <sighs> Mentoring, which, you know, does happen through like the Music Managers Forum, I think, and the New Zealand Music Commission and, and Rock Quest to a degree, but I'm not sure... 
they're doing it right. And I also think there's this barrier um, where, because music is an art form, um, there's this like cognitive dissonance um, between art and commerce. And, you know, if you want to do your art for a career and that's the only thing you want to do, you've got to learn how to make money out of it. And so it is a business. And I feel like that that aspect of it maybe isn't communicated enough to young musicians. It's actually just like, just like be creative and write songs and do this. But what about like, actually, maybe you need to learn how to do like basic business accounting. You need to put together like a strategic plan for what you actually want your musical project to do. How do you budget for recording? How do you budget for tour? How do you organize a tour? How do you organize recording to get the best outcome that you want? You know, it's actually, yeah, I'm not sure there's enough focus on that sort of thing. Is it possible we're trying to teach fish to ride bicycles? (laughs) Yes, I think it it takes a special um, type of person to be able to do both the art and the business side so if you perform in a band generally there's at least one person in there who just maybe they just love playing drums or love playing bass but actually they're not very creative and they might be the one who should take that on and learn that if they're serious about but if you're a solo artist or if you're a band full of absolute munters who are brilliant at music um that's when you need to look at teaming up with a third party like a manager which is like easier said than done but um that, yeah, you really need to kind of, if you're serious about it, focus on that sort of thing. If you're not willing to learn those skills yourself. Because you need you need that, you need need that those two things marrying together to be able to do this. You're managed and produced by yes. Tom Larkin. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are his uh, essential qualities? What does he bring to the band? Experience and confidence and not giving any fucks. <laughs> you know, he's, you know, she had, she had a massive. They've got like at least 20 years of like tangible insane commercial level um rock music industry experience um and he just knows what works and what doesn't on the business side of stuff what to say yes to what to say no to but also that um you know pushing you to take risks and leaps leaps of faith you know if there's because we're in this new digital age and stuff as well um there's new things happening all the time um, also, you know, he has this openness to try new things. He's not stuck in the past. He's ex- he's experienced. He's influenced by his past and what's worked for Shehard. But you know, Shehard um, and his their manager at the time and their record labels didn't have the internet, didn't have social media, didn't have you know these kind of things. And the fact that he's open to taking on um, new developments in the space as well that's a huge thing. Do you have a favorite track or maybe a, a favorite right now track that you'd like to play? Um, well, I don't really ever have favourite tracks or favourite right now tracks. And if I do have favourite right now tracks, they're kind of embarrassing. Um, <laughs> so I think uh, the track I am going to play is a favourite of mine um, because I love this artist, Courtney Barnett. And um, this album, sometimes I sit and think and sometimes I just sit was like a huge impact on me and my partner Moses. So we went on our first holiday together to Australia when, when we started dating and we went to JB Hi-Fi because we were road tripping around. We went to a JB Hi-Fi and we were like, let's buy some CDs. This car we've hired has a CD player that's hilarious. And we bought this album because I'd, I'd read about it a lot and I'd also met her manager um, about six months prior at a music conference event 
and he'd raved on about her. So I was like, let's check her out. And so this album's always been very special since then to me and my partner Moses. Um, and this song was a, a favourite from it and still was a favourite to this day. And it's called Depreston. And it's about a suburb in Melbourne called Preston. <laughs> and how depressing it is. You said we should look out further I guess it wouldn't hurt us We don't have to be around all these coffee shops Now we got that percolator Never made a latte greater I'm saving $23 a week We drive to a house in Preston We see police arresting A man with his hand in a bag How's that for first impressions? This place seems to press
You're listening to the Garden of Sound interview with Emma Cameron, part of the group Decades. And we'll be back with Emma very shortly. But first, I want to thank Taha Sparkling Tonic for sponsoring today's show. If you haven't tried Taha yet, you're missing out. It's made from ginger root, manuka honey and kawakawa. And you may not have heard much about kawakawa. It's been used by Māori for hundreds of years because of its anti-inflammatory properties. And it's also hepatoprotective meaning it protects the liver. Not to mention, Taha Sparkling Tonic is super tasty too. If you'd like to find out more about Taha, then please visit taha.nz or ask for it at your local supermarket, cafe or bar. You're listening to the Garden of Sound interview with Emma Cameron from the band Decades. Emma, uh, I want you to describe your music-making process. And you said that the songwriting thing isn't really completely yeah. your th- I haven't, thing. Yeah, it's not really my thing, but I I would like it to be as much as possible. And so I'm still trying to figure that out myself. Um, so where do the songs come from? Liam, okay. our guitarist. He is one of those people that just always wrote songs and it's his main focus is and it's what he strives to be the best at. Um, and he's an insane song. Like, he's so prolific. Like, he can write, like, two or three songs a week, um, and most of the time they're, like, viable songs. Do you know what I mean? But they're not, like, full production, full fully realised ideas. It would be, like, um, a, a content idea and then a, a verse and a chorus and maybe some guitar ideas. Um, if I guess if he's particularly inspired, he might get into some production, but we've been learning in the last couple of years to not put too much um, preemptive thought on what the end result might sound like because we do actually just love great songs and they could be produced in any way. They could be electronic songs. They could be metal songs. They could be, um, folk acoustic songs they could be rock songs we just prefer to communicate them um, as a rock band because that's the sound that we prefer um, so we're very focused on songwriting but mostly it, it comes from Liam and then we all flesh it out from there me and Liam have a co-writing relationship where so if he comes with a, a verse and a chorus um, and I connect with the song on a personal level because I'm the one that obviously has to communicate it um, vocally. Quite often when it when we know it's working is when I can continue to write the rest of the lyrics without his help um, because the connection's there and yeah. So where does that content come from? Personal experience, <laughs> I guess. Um, or sometimes I guess fictional, fictional fantasy. Um like I don't write very often. I often sit in the studio over here and or this office space with this piano and these guitars and and sit down and like okay, I'm gonna gonna try and like write a thing and that it never works. Um, last night though, for instance, I was sitting at my desk, um, just doing whatever, um, scrolling through Instagram on my phone and I tapped on the story of this chick I follow. She's a local makeup artist. Um, in Christchurch, Mish Francis, and I don't know her personally, but um, I follow her because she's friends of friends, and she's really good at makeups. So and you're like, you wanted a girl on your show? There you go. Um, and and she just like, I think it was might have been her birthday, and she'd like done this Instagram story um, of uh, how old am I turning tomorrow? Am I turning seventeen or twenty one? And you had to vote. <laughs> 
but the fact is she was actually turning 25 and then she like went on this whole spiel of like you know um actually turning 25 tomorrow is a trick question but am i you know do I, I don't have to turn 25 if i want to i can turn 21 as many times as i want like blah 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 it's just a number and i was like man this is really interesting and then i just wrote like a whole bunch of lyrics about that and you know if i could maybe you know because i'm about to turn 30 in a year or two and and then it made me think, like, will I be turning 30 or do I want to turn 21 and kind of start again? And what are things that I didn't do in my 20s that I regret not doing? And, and you know, it comes back to, like, social anxiety and not pushing the band earlier than I, than I could have. And it's like, maybe I do want to turn 21 next year because I can start again. And, like, you know, it's like things like that where other people have this, like, they do it off the cuff, you know, that might not even be this completely formulated idea, but when that resonates with me and that makes my brain buzz out, that's when I can kind of write lyrics or or songs. Um, whereas on the other hand with Liam, he can just sit down and go, okay, and just, like, write a song, like, about anything I don't like I he could probably write about one life experience he's had in like 800 different ways um and that's like an insane talent that he has or he can if I like tell him what's going on with me he can take that away and write a song about it from my perspective as me he's very empathetic um in his songwriting not so much as like a day like face-to-face person he's very he's very emotionally reserved in terms of like face-to-face but all his emotions come out in his songwriting I guess what about your on-stage presentation I've seen some interesting looks and band <laughs> photos where do they come from oh, I don't know I think we're still experimenting with that especially me personally like I'm hugely uh I love fashion <laughs> I love clothes and I think my approach to uh personal aesthetic is similar to my approach to what I like in music which is it can change day to day um and so I'm always I'm forever every time I'm like shopping for clothes I'm only shopping for like I could wear this on stage I could you know this is like a cool like a buzz out thing like you can't I need to take that constraint off me you can't wear this day to day yeah you can (laughs) but um yeah the I don't know the look thing the guy when we when we got first got into the studio with Tom because it wasn't just a production of the album thing and then a management thing it was also an artist development thing and one of his things is, you know, presentation. And that's what I find a lot when I go to local gigs and stuff. I'm like, man, this band is like, music's pretty cool. Their performance is there, but I hate what they're wearing. They just look stupid. What the hell? You know, like, it seems so vain, but it makes such a huge difference. Um, and so that was a big thing that Tom kind of, like, took the guys through in the studio. And we had a photo shoot while we were recording the album as well. So we ended up taking a day off from the studio and we all went like secondhand shopping and shopping in Melbourne and stuff before this photo shoot we had. And it's, it's ever evolving, but um, I'd say that, um, yeah, I'm a lot more exploratory and daring with our, what we like look like than the guys. They kind of go for the staple. As a front person, I feel like it's kind of makes sense to stand out though. Because um, you're a woman? No, I think just because front person. If you look at like, most bands, um, not any band, but a lot of bands, you can tell who the front person is just by looking at a press shot. Do you know what I mean? And and sometimes that's uh, accidental or just natural, and sometimes that's, like, on purpose. I naturally stand out because everyone else in my band has penis, and I'm just like, like, clearly, what's going on there? Um, 
because I'm into that kind of thing, I do, you know, when we have shows coming, I usually just, you know, I trust the guys to show up and, and play a show wearing, like, they're not going to stick out, like, they're just wearing sweatpants and jandals or whatever, but, um, you know, we do talk about it ahead of often one-off shows, like Homegrown, um, for instance, especially this year, because we um, took a cue from our most recent music video for The Truth, um, where me and Liam are wearing uh, lycra onesies or unitards and so we decided we were going to try and do that live um but it was a reveal like an outfit change during the set which not many rock bands do so that was one time where we really had to sit down and plan what we were going to wear um to be able to get into these unitards and reveal them in the like fastest and, and easiest way possible quick change yeah 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 can we hear something uh yes from the i band? think the next track was the truth
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Emma Cameron on Plains FM 96.9. Have you tried Taha Sparkling Tonic? It's made right here in New Zealand from the best natural ingredients, Manuka honey, organic ginger and kawakawa. The medicinal benefits of these three are well known, but when they're combined, you get a healthy taste sensation that's out of this world! Fortunately, you can buy Taha right now from supermarkets, cafes and bars all over New Zealand. Find out more at taha.nz. Taha, a drink from the edge of the world. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Emma Cameron, part of the group Decades on Plains FM 96.9. Emma, I want to ask, what's your best musical memory over the last decade or so? (laughs) The last decade. Um, I think... Just the experience of recording our debut album, I think, because we really like took the plunge and we all took like weeks off work and we went to Australia and we like really just invested all of our um, energy, emotionally, mentally, physically into it. And that was like insanely invaluable um, to us as a band. Um, even though we don't really ever need to do that ever again unless we like don't have day jobs anymore at any point. But it was really like solidifying for us to do that whole process together and, and really feel like we're doing something serious and this is like, this is us. Um, I think that's probably my favourite thing. Where did you record the album? We recorded at Tom's studio, actually, um, in Brunswick in Melbourne. It was called Studio in the City at the time, but now it's called Home Surgery Recordings. Tell me about the uh, next few months. What's, what's happening? Are you guys out on tour? Yes, we are out on tour. So we're kind of on our last wee hurrah for um, this debut album, The Truth and Other People. Um, it came out July 14th last year. So on July 13th this year, we're doing a tour, just a quick one, just crash at Sinead in Wellington, Auckland. Um, in a couple of weeks, we're heading into the studio. I just got the uh, booking confirmation yesterday. Um, to start working on new music. Um, so like I said, last album we did like five weeks in the studio, but this time we're kind of chipping it away at it um, as songs that we connect with kind of come into fruition, um, trying to force it a little bit less. And also trying to um, release songs, so, like new music sooner. So the first time we recorded a whole album and started releasing from there, I think this time the aim is... Um, record kind of songs and start drip feeding out singles and eventually formulate an album um, down the line. So we're doing that at the end of this month, um, heading up to Auckland and recording at a studio up there called Studios by the City, which is weird. (laughs) Did they steal the name? I don't know. Um, And yeah, tour. And then I guess after tour, it will be a complete focus on um, album two. Maybe we will do a week or two long stint, but I'd kind of prefer to drip feed it and maybe do it single by single and we'll see what happens. Not taking anything away from Tom Larkin, mm. uh, is there anyone that you would like to work with uh, in uh, as a producer? As a producer? Um, not, like, I'm or, not a super, like, technical gear studio person, or so... perhaps any other bands that yeah. you would like to emulate their success? Do you know, like, I my favourite band's the Scottish, at the moment, the Scottish band Biffy Clyro, and like I talked earlier about how I creepily followed them around on tour, I met them a lot on that tour by accident at, like, baggage collections at airports and stuff, very awkward. Um, but they're also with Warner, 
Um, and so when they were here a couple months ago or a month or two ago, yeah, a month ago um, in Auckland, because they were their record label, my record label teed me up to interview them, which was uh, very weird. And, you know, they came in and they were like, oh, we recognise you. And and they thought I'd interviewed them before. And I was like, no, this is my first interview ever, actually. And they're like, well, how do we know you? I was like, Ugh, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. But Simon, their singer and songwriter and guitarist and front person, um, wasn't at that interview. It was the, the brothers, the drummer and the bassist. But I even talked to them about how I would, like, I don't think any of them have ever done production for other bands before. I think they're still, like, they're still so driven and focused on their own career. That's not something that's really on their radar yet. But I would love to work with either Simon or um, all of them together, like, on something. I think that would be really awesome. They're completely different music from us, like, so different. Um but still rock music, and I think, like, they're a kind of band that's not scared to just, like, do whatever the fuck they want, um, whether they write, like, they might write a very electronic kind of poppy song, and then they'll, like, write this weird, like, 7-8 to 5-4 to 3-4 to song with, like, seven different keys in it, and those two things can be on the same album, and they, like, get away with it somehow. I'd like to, like, kind of, it would be cool to kind of jam out with them or have, um, you know, them or, or just Simon or whoever, like, in the studio and kind of just, I don't know, just throw around ideas. Me and Liam are very into co-writing at the moment with people outside of the band, so even if just it was, like, a co-writing session or whatever, it'd be cool to have them in the pool along with all the other people we've kind of been collaborating with recently, and, yeah. Is there a track you'd like to take us out with today? Ah, uh, yes, one of my own, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's a song that we never intended to be a single, um, in fact, it was about a month before we released our album, Warner came to us and said, um, what are your thoughts on uh, just a random song to come out a week before the album release as a last kind of promo effort? It's not a single, just a, an album track. And then the single to happen after that. And we're like, I don't know, none of these songs on this album are good enough. Because, <laughs> you know, self-deprecating. Um, and But we ended up saying, okay, maybe the right mistake is an album track and the truth as a single. And they went, actually, those are the two songs we were digging as well, but we kind of thought maybe they should be run the other way. Like maybe the truth should be the album track and the right mistake should be the single. And we're like, nah, nah, the truth is better than the right mistake. We'll, we'll save the truth for after the album's out. And... We just they put out the right mistake on a Friday, um, just the Friday before the album release, and it just like Spotify picked it up on like New Music Friday, and then it got on all these playlists, and it just went absolutely nuts. It's like our most successful song now, and we didn't even really consider it even single worthy, like as as a band. It was the right mistake. Exactly, isn't that ironic? That kind of like is painfully annoying. Um, and so we ended up having to make a music video for it and everything because we had to kind of capitalize on how well it was doing. And oh, sure, all of a sudden now we've got to send it to radio stations because Spotify, all of it, you know, it's it's up to like, I can't even remember how many plays it has. It's got a lot of plays. Anyway, uh, this is the right mistake, which was our right mistake to make. She tastes like bad news. I was never one to argue.
Thanks for joining me today. This week's guest was Emma Cameron, part of the group Decades. They'll be touring the country very soon, and you can get tickets to those shows at undertheradar.co.nz. You can find out more about that tour and listen to a show-specific playlist made up of all the tracks Emma talked about today by visiting gardenofsound.nz. I mentioned at the start of the program there's a tasty treat from Taha up for grabs if you can answer the following question. That question is, what Scottish band did Emma stalk all across Australia? That question again, what Scottish band did Emma stalk across Australia? Head along to gardenofsound.nz and look for the win tab. The first correct entry will win a tasty treat from Taha Sparkling Tonic. And please do put Tuesday 31st of July in your calendar. That's when the first Garden of Sound live gig will be happening at Littleton Records. Tickets aren't on sale yet, but please do keep an eye on social media for the first lineup announcement. Right, thanks for joining me this week. I'm Ian Turner and this has been Garden of Sound with thanks to Taha Sparkling Tonic.